0: In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajhum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you and welcome once again to our Series Life the Islamic Answer. Given that uh, we have been off for a few weeks commemorating the tragedy of Karbala, and we are still in the season of mourning and sorrow of Ahlul Bayt, may God accept everyone's deeds. And because we were told that uh, a number of people, inshallah, are joining us in person or uh, online. Um, Let's start with a quick recap of where we are, what we have covered until now, at least so that we know what we're uh, trying to cover and how it fits into the bigger picture. And this serves, inshallah, as both uh, a refresher and to help situate, especially if someone wants to go back and uh, review or catch up. The series The life series came after a previous series on aqa'id, on the worldview. And the reason we presented the first series uh, as a starting point is that we were saying we need to understand our worldview as a Muslim. And the worldview of a human being means that they understand where they come from, why are they here, And where are they going in life? And so in the previous series, we began with those questions first. And we began with the discussion of why do we need religion in the first place. And then we explained the differences between a godly and a materialist worldview. And this led us to the discussion of the existence of God. We went through the Arguments, the proofs for the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the main ones. And we also uh, took a bit of time to discuss the scientific worldview that is very popular today, to also understand how do we take position, uh, especially with regards to the big questions that science sometimes seems to have a, an answer to. For instance, the beginning of the universe or the beginning of life or how is a human being or whether a human being is different from other creatures or not. And so we went through some of the scientific literature on that. And then we continued with the attributes of God, especially the main ones. What does it mean to say that God has power? God has knowledge. God is alive, has a will. And then we spent a good I don't remember the the exact numbers of lectures, but perhaps between 15 or so lectures on one of the most complex and and difficult questions, which is the presence of evil in the world. If we say that we believe in a God and that God is merciful and just, then how come is there so much evil and so much uh, hardship and challenges and difficulties in the world in which we live? So after, uh, I think, a thorough discussion of that question, we went back to the more traditional topics that are covered in Aqa'id, including uh, what we understand as religion or revelation in general. What is revelation? Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveal anything to human beings? Why don't we just rely on our minds, on our reason? And who does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveal messages to? What are the attributes of those people that we call prophets and messengers? When we say that they are infallible, they are masum. what does asma mean? How do we understand that? What are miracles? When does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send them? And this was all at a more general level in the sense that this applies to every prophet and every religion and every messenger. And then we focused a little bit more on our specific Prophet, Prophet Muhammad to understand his Prophethood. In what sense is he a message? How he was prophesied by previous Prophets? And the type of miracle that he brought and how it is different from previous miracles because it, it is still in our hands today. And the distinctive features of this religion being that, this is a religion that claims to be universal and that claims to be, wa and that claims to be eternal. Those were the two characteristics of Islam. So what does it mean when we say Islam is eternal? And what does it mean when we say Islam is universal? Once that discussion was done, we moved to the discussion of the successors to the Holy Prophet. Alayhi wa alayhi. We had a, a few special sessions there too to answer some of the big objections we constantly hear. Why was Islam or why was the Quran revealed in Arabic? Why was the Quran revealed to Arabs uh, if it is eternal and it is universal? So all those sessions are there if you want to go back and review them. Then we started talking about the topic of Imam or the successors to the Prophet. What does it mean? Why do we Need imams. Why did Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala decide that there should be imams after the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? What is their role? What are their characteristics? What are the main proofs to argue to establish very clearly that we need imams? How how is an imam established to say there someone is an imam? How did we get to that conclusion? How do we consider that to be a valid proof or not? And what are the characteristics of the Imams? What are the roles of the Imams? We discussed all of that. And this led us to the discussion of uh, the Imam of our time, the 12th Imam, in whom we believe that he exists, except that we can't directly have access to him and we can't see him. But what does that mean? How are we supposed to live our lives knowing that there is such an Imam and other related discussions? And then after that, we discussed the entire topic of death until afterlife. So starting from death, what is death? What does a human being go through from the moment they die till the next world, the next dimension, which is the intermediary world, from after a human being dies until the day of judgment? What happens? This is alam al-barzakh. This is the intermediary world. We went through that to explain what happens there and how that works. And then we talked about some of the main stages of the afterlife. How human beings rise after this world is destroyed and the next world is created. How human beings rise. How are they assessed and judged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then how they are led finally to their uh, reward or punishment. And we went through different discussions on 50 or 60 or 80 years here, and then live an eternal life in the afterlife. How do we answer these types of questions? So, that was what we covered in the first series in about 100 lessons, 100 lectures to understand what we called our worldview. This is the answer to the big questions that every human being is wired to ask Where do I come from? What am I doing here? And where am I going? These are the three big questions every human being struggles with. And this these are the answers that are provided by what we call religion or what we call a worldview or what we call an idea, an ideology. And there are other systems out there. There are systems of belief and there are other religions. Each one of them is trying, attempting to provide answers to these same questions in their own way. And we feel that, of course, Our answers are the only ones that are valid. And we went through the proofs and the arguments for everything we said from reason and from the scriptures. Once all of that is understood, now that I understand it, generally speaking, how I interpret the world, now I need to know, okay, so how do I live in this world? So instead of starting to look at, for instance, doing tafsir of the Qur'an and just going through the verses of the Qur'an as they appear, or just doing uh, a research of history in Islam and studying the biographies of the Holy Prophet or early Islam or the Imams, or only discussing akhlaq and spirituality. We thought we would discuss how to live our lives as a Muslim in this world, which means that we need answers from all of those different fields, and this is how we came up with this series of life. Okay, so in this series, what we're trying to do is to see how are we supposed to live our lives now that we have this worldview. Now that someone no longer has any questions regarding, unless they are very technical, otherwise we covered the foundations there. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists, that he has revealed a religion, that this is the religion that he has revealed, that this is his prophet and this is his book, and those are the imams that we follow and we understand what happens in the afterlife. This is all now established, which is what we did in the first series. Now how am I supposed to live my life? And so the life series is supposed to be the answer to this question. How do I live my life in this world, in today's world? which is a very different world than the world that we had 500 years ago, for instance. So this series is, as we said, structured based on a number of different themes. The first theme is the one that we're still discussing, the theme that should lead to us rewiring ourselves, reformatting ourselves, so that we prioritize knowledge and reason in our lives. This is the first theme. Because of the importance that our religion gives to this, our religion starts from this point. That the first priority, the number one thing that we have to get uh, right in this world, as a good Muslim in this world, is that we have to have the right type of knowledge. Everything starts with the ma'rifah. We want to start from the right place and everything will fall into place afterwards. And so we are in this first theme of ma'rifah, of ilm on one side and aql. And both of them together are going to give us the ma'rifah. Okay, so this is what we established from the beginning of the series. And I will give a quick recap. But inshallah, in the next themes of this series, once this is done, when the first theme is done, we will touch on the next themes to understand how are we, Supposed to understand this world in general Al-hayat al-dunya What does a religion say about it? That will be a theme Another theme is What is the nature of a human being? And this whole question of fitra, And the question of How are we really wired? How are we supposed to feel natu- naturally in this world? So that we understand How far we may sometimes diverge From this natural fitra? What is the fitra? Okay, and so we understand human nature That will be a theme Once we now understand this, then we move to the individual and the family unit. That will be a theme. And we will focus, inshallah, especially on the time that usually in our religion is referred to as Shabab. Right? The teenage years and the early adulthood. Our religion puts a very special emphasis on those years in in the life of a human being. What does it say about those years? And then what does it say about family life from different angles? We can look at that. And that will, inshallah, be a theme. And then we will talk about Islamic teachings about society. According to Islam, what does a society look like if it is Islamic? What's the political system that Islam says should be in place? What are What is the economic system that Islam says should be in place? Those, inshallah, are going to be eventually the themes that we get to if we are to complete the series entirely. Okay, but we are first in the uh, in the first theme still, which is really about rewiring ourselves to understand the importance of reason and the importance of knowledge. We began this series by saying that, first and foremost in our religion, knowledge and reason are not only important, they're considered necessary. And the alternative is what our religion refers to as jahl, which translates as two things, two very different things. But in Islam, it's one. Both are combined in this one thing which is jahl. Jahl in Islam translates as both ignorance, so you don't have the knowledge, and it translates as foolishness, which is you act in a way that is contrary to wisdom and to reason. Okay, so we talked about that at length. We saw what our religion says about the importance of knowledge and reason and their necessity, and we saw what the alternative is and how it is unacceptable, which is jahl. Then we, we said, logically, the next discussion we should have is, okay, so what do I focus on? What is this Islamic knowledge that Islam wants me to focus on? And we saw that in Islam, there are two conditions. If those two conditions are met, then this is much more important and much more Islamic than the type of knowledge I'm acquiring. It's not that Islam doesn't encourage Certain types of knowledge And we will get to those inshallah But there's something more important Before I study tafsir or I I study history Or I study fiqh I need to meet two conditions Those two conditions are what make knowledge Islamic And those two conditions are That you are sincere in your intentions And we spent a good 10-15 lectures on sincerity of intentions And one and two That, the knowledge, leads to action. And we said the action is what you are doing externally, but it has to start from inside first. The knowledge that you acquire has to change you, and then you act differently. You act better. You want to act better. And so we called that action, the condition, we also called it transformational knowledge. In Islam, those are the two conditions that make the information you're getting Islamic or not Islamic. Not the type of information. It's not because the information is called fiqh or tafsir or aqaid that we call it Islamic knowledge. This is just the type of data and information you're getting. It's what you do with it. If you acquire it with the intention that you are sincere and this brings you closer to God, whatever the information is, then this is Islamic knowledge. And if you acquire it with the intention that you will act on this knowledge, then this is Islamic knowledge. Regardless of what type of knowledge it is. That's why we said, whether you're learning engineering or medicine or tafsir, if it is leading to these two conditions, then this is Islamic knowledge. You are doing something that God wants you to do with the information you are acquiring. Now, when we, So we finished with the first condition. The sincerity of our intention in acquiring the knowledge. The second condition, action. What does that look like? What does it mean when we say you have to meet the condition that your knowledge leads to action? The first step is that I have to become a learner. And so we started talking about, first of all, the individual, me. Personally, what does it mean? It means I have to become a learner. And this is what we're still discussing right now. What does it mean to be a good learner in Islam? We're going through that. Once we are done becoming learners, which is a lifelong journey, it never really ends, but at some point, I have acquired enough knowledge that I can start sharing it. So in addition to being a learner, I am now a teacher. And if I have learners and teachers, the next level, and inshallah, this is what we're working towards, is that we build communities of knowledge. A community where there is a constant use, learning, consumption of knowledge, and generation of knowledge, and sharing of knowledge. And everyone in that community feels that they are part of a community of knowledge, a community of learning. And this is always going on. And it generates constantly new learners and new teachers. Okay, so inshallah we'll get to that. We haven't discussed those points yet. We are still now at the phase of understanding what a good learner is in Islam. Okay, and we're not done that discussion. Once we're done, then we'll talk about the teacher, then we'll talk about the community, even though we're touching on a lot of those points as we're going through the discussion. Okay, so what have we said so far about the learner? In addition to everything that we've already covered, we said that there's a number of ingredients that are mentioned if you check them off, Islam says these ingredients make you a really effective and good learner. Some of them. We said dedication. And I'm not going to go through the hadith now or the, the terminology. Inshallah, if you're interested and you haven't, you're just joining, inshallah you go back and you listen to some of the lectures. And hopefully for the others, this is a refresher. We said dedication. One. Two. We said A good learner in Islam is someone who's always looking for a deeper understanding. You don't accept the superficial understanding. You always want to go further. We call that daraya. We're going to come back to that, inshallah. Three, we said that what is required is serious study. And we gave the hadith, the examples of how important it is to learn, to memorize, to groups. And so there's a collective component to this. There's a In the hadith, we talked about the importance of discussing the knowledge that you have learned and that there's a back and forth. You repeat what you have learned to others and they repeat to you what they have learned to see if our understanding matches or is there a difference and disagreement. Okay, we talked about the importance of direct apprenticeship. Don't rely just on books. Don't rely just on theory. You have to have a human being that you can discuss things with, ask questions from, validate your understanding from we talked about the importance of being open to the truth wherever we find it, right? And we saw a lot of ahadith about that. In fact, al-Bayt tell us that a good Muslim, and we believe the follower of al-Bayt, you are more worthy of the truth than anyone else. So you have to feel like the truth has a right over you. It should be sitting with you, in your mind, in your soul, and not with someone else. You have to go seek it out and do something with that truth. Why is it not sitting with? With you, Why is it sitting with someone else? You seek out the truth no matter where it comes from. If it's the truth, you go get it. The next point we discussed was the importance of humility. That to be an effective learner, you have to have humility. You can't have arrogance. The arrogance is going to prevent you from learning. You have to be humble. You have to be modest. And this, of course, opens the door to a whole topic that we're now discussing in more detail, which is asking questions. The importance of, if you don't have humility and modesty, you will not ask questions. You will not degrade yourself. You will not lower yourself. But that means that you're preventing yourself from learning. And the Holy Prophet was saying, last time we met, we went through the hadith. The Holy Prophet says, this is half of knowledge. Half of knowledge is knowing how to ask questions. Okay? We talked about the importance of patience, perseverance, we talked about even topics like flattery and competition how when it comes to learning to acquiring knowledge suddenly those things become they they're usually not things that are encouraged in our religion but when it comes to knowledge they are encouraged okay if you need to use flattery and and, and give a lot of praise in order to receive the information then do it if uh, you see that others have more knowledge then you ha- you should feel some a competitiveness, a noble competitiveness within you, that you want, why do they have more knowledge than you? You should feel something that pushes you to go and get as much knowledge or more knowledge than them. Okay, but again, as we said, always with the right intentions. The importance of writing, and we went through a lot of ahadith that say, if you are learning, then you should be writing. And we saw how the Holy Prophet would not share some ahadith some teaching with some people. They would come to, the, to him and they would say, we heard you say something to some of the companions. And the Holy Prophet tells them, do you have something to write with? They say, no. He tells them, go get something to write with. Which means the others were writing. Which means this person, if I give you this knowledge, what are you going to do with it? You're going to, in a week, in a day, or a week, or a month, or a year, you're going to forget it. Why am I giving this to you? Or you may distort it. right? You learn it, but you learn it wrong. And so later, you'll remember half of it and you'll distort half of it. And we talked at length about the importance of writing. We talked about time management and with a focus on early mornings. We spent a few lectures on this because there was demand that we spend more time on time management, right? So we spent a good amount of time on the importance of structuring our day, of putting the right amount of energy and information and, and, and time to every type of activity that we want to do in the day with a special focus on the early morning hours, right? And we compared all of that, I'm going to come to the point, we compared all of that with today's literature. In the coaching world, in the business world, in the uh, self-help world, all of that is being pushed as... These are the mantras. This is what the gurus are pushing. You want to be someone who's high-performing. You want to be the next millionaire. You want to be the person who beats the 99% of your competition. Everything starts with the early morning, the 5 a.m. club and other things, all of them related to the notion that you, the earlier you can start your day, and depending on what you put in those first couple of hours in your day, your life will change. Our religion has told us all of this from the beginning. Unfortunately, we don't follow. We, we break every one of these rules, right? Our religion says you start in early in the day. So if you are a true seeker of knowledge, and even if you are not, we saw that even today, people who are being told how to be the best businessman you can be, you need to start your day as early as possible and include learning early in the day. We saw that, right? And they told them, right, after you learn, You spend 30 minutes a day reading, meditating, write down what you learned and how you're going to apply that in your day and in your life. Right? We're supposed to be doing this. this. We went through the ahadith. We saw that our religion tells us to do all of this. In any case, eating and comfort versus sacrifice. We saw the ahadith that we're saying, if you want to be a good learner, then learning and wisdom are associated with an empty stomach. Okay, you can't be someone who is so into your comforts that the moment you know you're you're sitting somewhere and you want to focus, you have to be eating all the time, for instance. And eating is the clearest example, and we saw specific hadith about it, but it goes beyond eating. It's more about your comforts. It's okay to be uncomfortable, it's okay to push yourself a little, but not to the point where the discomfort becomes distracting. But on the other side, sometimes the comfort itself is distracting. Instead of focusing on what I'm supposed to study, what I'm supposed to do, I'm focusing on what am I gonna eat next. And as soon as it's done, I wanna eat the next thing. If we're focusing on the food, it could be anything else, any other type of comfort, right? It's okay to be uncomfortable. If this is what it requires, what you need to be able to focus more and get to the learning you need. We talked about the importance of youth and to seize the opportunity. And youth means, yes, youth in general, but for us, for our lives, there is no point in your life where you say this is youth and the next instant it's no longer youth. This is not how it works. You have to look at it as every instant that is going by, you are losing your youth and headed towards an older age. Which basically means you don't have as many faculties or you don't have any as many opportunities to be able to learn like you were learning before. Your memory is not going to be the same. Your responsibilities are going to be more. Your stress is going to be more. You're going to have more attachments. You won't have as many opportunities for you to be able to sit and focus and learn. And so if you don't seize those opportunities when you're younger, you're going to regret that the day, if the day happens that you wake up and you feel that there was value in learning and you did not appreciate the, the opportunity that you had in your youth. Okay, and so we saw the focus on that and we spent, uh, I think, a couple of lectures on this so we, we won't repeat what we said. And we talked about self-motivation and the internal drive. A An effective, a good learner in Islam, you can't wait for some pressure to come from outside of you. You have to find something inside of you that pushes you towards this. And we even talked about psychological tricks that you can use to hire the importance of something to yourself to associate something that is difficult associate it with something positive not something negative so that it gives you pleasure right this is what motivates a human being to move towards something envision what you need what you will achieve what you will gain from moving in a certain direction we talked about all of that we went through some a dozen or so books Uh, We talked about the the importance of morning routines. We talked about books about food. We talked uh, books about focus, perseverance. I think we mentioned a a dozen or so books very quickly in summary. To say today's books, this is what's available out there. These are the same notions that we're talking about in religious terms. You see the same principles are now being pushed as being business principles, as being self-help are changing their lives. All of this is part of our Islamic teaching. Okay, then we continued with the next ingredients, the importance of listening. And we said, we went through the hadith, before you become a learner, you have to learn how to become a good listener. And we said, listening is not just the ability to hear. Listening is more than just hearing. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Listening, we said, is a whole science. It's a whole art and a science to become someone who knows how to listen Okay, and inshallah, I promised you guys, because you were interested in the books, once we're done this section, I will go back and mention a good dozen or so books that talk about this science of listening, the importance of being a good listener in the Western tradition, okay, to make it match what we were talking about. We talked about critical thinking. Okay, we went through this hadith, we we discussed at length the hadith from Prophet Isa alayhi salam, in which he says that, A learner is not only someone who knows how to find and accept the truth from people of falsehood, which means that you're always interested in the truth, even if the person who's carrying the truth is someone of falsehood. You may disagree with the person and other things, but that truth, you accept it because we accept and look for the truth wherever we find it. But you also have to be someone who knows how to reject falsehood from the people of truth. And we talked at length about that, and inshallah, we come back to that too, okay, in more detail. And the topic we had reached, we started talking about it, and so inshallah, today we continue with that, is the the next ingredient, which is asking. Again, we may think that asking questions is something very easy, very simple. Again, no. This is an art and a science to be learned. How do I ask my questions? What do I ask? And what don't I ask? When do I ask it? Who do I ask from? We have a hadith about all of this. Okay, and we started talking about some of it and inshallah today we'll continue. Okay, so maybe just to highlight a couple of the things that we already covered and we're going to build on. One of them had to do with the importance of the intention when we ask. When I ask a question, what am I really trying to do? Sometimes we ask a question, but it's not really to learn. Sometimes I'm asking a question because I want to embarrass the person talking, and I want to show that they can't answer that question. Sometimes I ask a question out of stubbornness. Sometimes I ask a question to show that I know more than the person talking. So it's out of ego. Okay. So we talked about the importance of the intention, the ahadith that talk about فَلْيَسْأَلْ ta'annutan And other ahadith. Okay, so inshallah we don't repeat this. And we said in addition to that, there is a wisdom and there is an art to asking questions. So inshallah this is what we're building on. I just want to finish off, there is a hadith we didn't read yet, so we'll read it, and then we continue with our topic of the day. So the effect of true intent behind the question. In other words, depending on what your intention is, the effect of the answer is going to be different. The answer you get may be the same, but how it affects you is going to be different based on what was the intent, what was the intention from asking your question. There's someone who, this is a hadith about Imam al Baqir alayhi salam, قَالَ الْأَبْرَشِ الْكَلْبِي لِهُشَامِ So Hisham ibn Abdul Malik at his time, we've talked about this in the past, at the time of Imam al-Baqir alayhis salam, Husham ibn Abdul Malik was the khalifa, the 10th khalifa of Bani Umayyah. So قَالَ الْأَبْرَشِ I'll read it in Arabic as usual, and then we translate. قَالَ الْأَبْرَشِ الْكَلْبِي لِهُشَامِ مَنْ هَذَا الَّذِي احتوشَتْهُ أَهْلُ الْعِرَاقِ overtaken? by the people of Iraq asking him Okay so you can imagine the khalifa he's sitting beside a man and there's a discussion between them saying there's someone in Iraq from Iraq who has come this was Imam al-Baqir at that time Okay there was a time when Imam al-Sadiq and Imam al-Baqir were summoned to Iraq and they lived in Kufa for a couple of years So he's saying who is this person from Iraq that is overtaken by the people everyone is around him asking him questions trying to learn from him. They they hated this. Uh, Husham and others from the they did everything they could to get the people to come to them. Okay, Hajjaj, one of their governors, he used to tell the people, why do you go and perform the pilgrimage in Kaaba? It's better for you to come and perform the pilgrimage around the house of the Khalifa. This is the person that God has decided to make ruler over you. This These are simply empty rocks. Okay, there is... An, uh, a spiritual disease these people had, especially when they would see how people would flock to Ahl al-Bayt as soon as they see them, and they would come to them and talk to them and uh, ask them their questions. So he tells them, who is this man who is overtaken by the people of Iraq, asking him questions? qala hadha kufa okay? He told him, this is a prophet. Of course, it is not the prophet of Kufa, but this is, you see the, the, the mocking terminology they use, they say, this is a prophet of the people of Kufa. He claims to be the grandson of the messenger of God, and the one who pierces through knowledge. This is the literal translation of al-ilm, the one who pierces through all knowledge, and the one who can interpret the Qur'an fully. أَسْأَلَةً لَا Told him, why don't you go ask him a question That he doesn't know how to answer So he came to him And he told him, "O son of Ali Have you really truly read the Torah The Gospel And the Zabur The book of Dawood And the the Quran The Imam said, yes, I have قَالَ فَإِنِّي سَائِلُكَ عن مسائل. So he said, he then said, I want to ask you some questions. If you truly have read all of this, all of these scriptures as you claim you have, then I have some questions for you. The reason why we're saying all of this story is what is the next line of the Imam. So what does the Imam say? He said, so the Imam told him, when he told him, I have then I have some questions for you. The Imam said, then ask. If you are seeking guidance, you will benefit from what you are asking. And if you are see, asking out of obstinacy, out of stubbornness, you will be misguided by what you are asking. It's the same question that the man is asking. And the answer that the imam will give him is going to be the same answer. But the imam tells him, if you're asking to learn, this is going to be guidance for you. You're going to be guided by it. It's going to be hidayah. And if you are asking out of stubbornness, which is exactly what the man was doing, the imam tells him that this is going to be misguidance for you. What, What I will give you is going to misguide you. And as we said, the question is the same and the answer is going to be the same. The only thing is ch- that is changing here is what? The intention. This is how we said from the beginning. If your intent is different, if your intention, when I'm about to ask a question, if I want to be a good learner, when I'm about to ask a question, I have to examine my intention. Why am I asking this question? Is it really because I want to learn? This is going to have an effect on me. This is going to guide me There's a spiritual effect to what I'm going to hear as an answer. Either it's going to guide me or it's going to misguide me. And it's not going to be about the words I hear back, because they're going to be the same words. But the effect on my heart and on my soul is going to be very different because of my intent. Intent. The next ahadith have to do with the idea of foolish inquiries. Sometimes we ask questions and our religion says, it is foolish to ask those things or foolish to ask in this manner. Okay, we're going to see a series of ahadith about this. One of the ahadith comes to us from the Holy Prophet He says, Uskutu amma sakat Allah. Very short, but it contains a lot of wisdom. The Holy Prophet says, Keep silent about that which god has kept silent Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can if he wants to overwhelm you with the details he doesn't always sometimes he gives more details sometimes he gives less details and sometimes we in our foolishness and our ignorance we go digging for details that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given the holy prophet out of his mercy, out of his compassion for his nation, for his followers. He says when God has kept silent about something, don't go asking about it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is intentionally staying silent about it. When you go and you dig about that thing which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not explained in detail, you are now going to hear a lot more details and all of them are going to become obligatory, obligatory on you. They are now going to be a burden upon you that you have to accept as a responsibility. It was not before. You, you had no responsibility to ask about those things. Okay? So, that's the first very short, as we usually do. I go with the shorter hadith, and then we go with the ones that give us a lot more details. The second hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, this one, that Imam Ali alayhi salam, saying the Holy Prophet said, Okay, so again this is originally from the Holy Prophet He says إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَىٰ حَدَّ لكم حدوداً. And I will explain it in English after إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَىٰ حَدَّ لَكُمْ حُدُودًا فَلَا تَعْتَتُوها وَفَرَضَ عَلَيْكُمْ فَرَائِضٍ فَلَا تُضَيِّعُوهَا وَسَنَّ لَكُمْ سُنَنًا فَاتَّبِعُوهَا وَحَرَّمَ عَلَيْكُمْ حُرُمَاتٍ فَلَا تَهْتِكُوهَا لَكُمْ عَنْ أَشْيَاءَ رَحْمَةً minhu lakum مِنْ غَيْرِ نِسْيَانِ فَلَا تَتَكِلَّفُهَا So in English. Muhammad Ali says, the Holy Prophet has said, God Almighty has traced limits for you. So do not cross them. So he's telling you this is all of religion. He's gonna, he's gonna summarize all of religious teachings In a few words Everything that we are taught Falls in these categories God has traced limits for you Do not cross those limits Easy enough And he has prescribed obligations upon you So do not neglect The obligations says You have to pray You have to fast You have to perform the pilgrimage Clear obligation So don't neglect the obligations And God has forbade Illicit matters, so do not transgress them. He said, this is haram, this is haram, this is prohibited. Don't abuse of those things. Don't transgress. And then he says, Waafa لَكُمْ See in Arabic, he says, Waafa لَكُمْ an أَشْرَى He excused you from certain matters out of his mercy. Not out of forgetfulness. Allah says, Allah did not forget about those things. He explicitly did not give you all those additional details that may come to your mind. He explicitly did not mention them. So what do you do? So do not impose them on yourselves. The Imam says, if you go asking, you are going to impose those things on yourself. Inshallah, we'll see today if I reach the hadith. We have a number of hadith that fall in this, examples that fall in this category. Okay, the next hadith This one is a very clear story In the Holy Quran That contains a lot of lessons One of the lessons is the topic we're talking about So I'm going to read the hadith from the Holy Prophet And then I'm going to explain The verses of the Quran that have to do with this The hadith of the Holy Prophet says لَوْلَا أَنَّ بَنِي wa قَالُوا وَإِنَّا إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهِ لَمُهْتَدُونَ مَا أُعْضُوا أَبَدًا وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ اَعْتَرَضُوا بَقَرَةً مِنَ الْبَقَرُ فَذَبَحُوهَا لَأَجْزَأَتْ عَنْهُمْ وَلَكِنَّهُمْ شَدَدُوا فَشَدَدَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ So the Holy Prophet says, if many Israel, the children of Israel, had not said those words, and if God wills, we will be guided. Inshallah, I'm going to explain those words. Okay, Inshallah, inna If they had not said those words, those are the words that saved them. Because everything else they did was very problematic. So the Holy Prophet says, they would not have been given anything ever again. And if they had encountered a cow and offered to sacrifice it, it would have sufficed. But they made things difficult, so God made things difficult for them. What's this story? The story is in Surah al Baqarah, the second chapter of the Qur'an. You know that the chapters of the Qur'an? They are called based on something usually mentioned in the surah. Sometimes it's something mentioned, it's the first word of a surah when you say, وَالْتِينُ zaytun. Right? The fig. So the surah is called a team Because the tein is mentioned right at the beginning, chapter 95. a nahl, النَّحْلِ nahl is not one-nahl. Right, Surat al-Nahl, the, the, the chapter of the bee. But there is a mention of the bees in that chapter. There is a mention of the spider in Surah al-Ankabut. So it has either become customary to refer to that surah by that name, or sometimes we have ruwayat that have called the surah by that name, but not in every case. Okay? Surah al-Nahl is chapter 16. Much later, and the surah doesn't talk about the beast, but it talks about many other things. Surah Al Baqarah is like that. It talks about many topics. One of the topics is a story between Bani Israel and Prophet Musa alayhi salam about the cow. Okay, I think it's uh, uh, 60, 67 to 73. I think those are the verses that have to do with the story of the cow. And so the chapter is called the chapter of the cow. What are the verses? Then we'll explain them and see what's the link with what we're talking about. That the Holy Prophet, then we'll come back to the narration of the Holy Prophet to see what he, why he said this. When Musa, Prophet Musa, السلام, he told his people, God orders you to sacrifice a cow. To slaughter a cow in sacrifice. And they told him, Are you taking us in mockery? Are you mocking us with this? And we'll explain. I'll explain the, the story of the cow after. Let's go through the verses. Are you mocking us by asking us to slaughter a cow? He said, I seek refuge in God from being of those who are foolish. <speaking in Hebrew> قَالَ إِنَّهُ يَقُولُ إِنَّهَا بَقَرَةٌ لَا ذَلُولٌ تُثِيرُ الْأَرْضَ وَلَا تَعْفُونَ قَالَ إِنَّهُ يَقُولُ إِنَّهَا بَقَرَةٌ لَا فَارِضٌ وَلَا بِكْرٌ حَوَانٌ بَيْنَ ذَلِكِ فَفَعَلُوا مَا تُؤْمَرُونَ He says, so go ask your Lord, they told him, go ask your Lord to see what's the description of this cow that he wants us to slaughter. He said this cow, he said, so Musa alayhi salam went back to God. And ask God Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala They say We need a description of this cow So what's the description of this cow? And then he came back to them and told them He says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says The cow is neither too old or too young Hawanun bayna dhalik In between Being too old and too young Of middle age It's not too old, not too young So do as you were ordered to do they again asked Musa salam, قَالُوا رَبَّكَ لَنَا تَشَابَهَ عَلَيْنَا Right? At the end. They want more description of the cow. Musa salam went back to God, asked God. He came back to them and he told them, قَالَ إِنَّهُ إِنَّهَا صَفْرَاءٌ لَوْنُهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he asks God, he comes back, he tells them, God has said that it is a yellow cow, bright in color, pleasing to any onlooker. They came back to Musa And they told him one more time, Ask God, One more time, go ask your God, your Lord, about this cow. Because all the cows look alike to us. We need one more description. That really is, because there are so many yellow bright cows, right? We are really not understanding it. It's very difficult. We need a much more specific description. He went to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, came back to them. And he told them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that this is a cow that has not been broken to till the ground or to bring water. Right? It's a completely healthy cow without any blemishes. Everything is good about this cow. So initially he gave them the age and therefore the size of the cow. Then he gave them the color and it was very distinctive. That is pleasing to the eye, bright yellow. Now he's telling them, it's a cow that has not been trained, has not been domesticated, and is not used for chores, right? For manual labor, to till the ground, to bring water. The third time they said, okay, now you have really come to us in, with the truth. So they went and slaughtered it, but they almost did it. After they almost did it. Okay, that's a story. That's it. And then the Quran moves on. So now that you have this story, and I can give you a little bit more details about this story. Okay, if you go back to our narrations, al Bayt alayhi salam, they explained to us that there are two people who had a disagreement. And they were relatives, they were cousins. One of them killed the other. When he killed him, he didn't know what to do. So he brought the corpse of the victim. He dragged it and he put it at the door of one of the members, the household of one of the prophets of Bani Israel It could have been Musa Alayhi or another prophet. But this is at the time of Prophet Musa He brought it to the household of the family member of that prophet. He left the body there at night and he went. When people woke up in the morning, they came and they saw where the body was. There's a murdered body in front of a house. Right away, they came to Prophet Musa salam, and accused that man. That man was a very good man. We would say that man was a saint. Okay, he would never do something like this. But there is a dead body at his entrance. Prophet Musa, salam, right away, he told them, go slaughter a cow. So they said, we're telling you someone died and you're telling us go slaughter a cow? Are you mocking us? That's why the verse says, are you mocking us? He told them, no, I, I would never mock you or make light of something like this. Someone has been killed and telling you, go slaughter a cow. They said, okay, you have to tell us which cow is it. And so this is when, go ask your Lord, which cow does he want us to to slaughter? And so the conditions started to come. We won't go through it again. It has to be of a certain size and age. It has to be of a certain color. It has to be a cow that has not been used to the ground or bring water. So at the end, they went and found that cow. There was only one such cow. And that's the second story. So they came to the person who has that cow. They kept looking until they found the cow that matches all of these descriptions. It was a young man in bedding Israel who had a farm and who had that cow. They came to him and they told him, we want to buy that cow from you. Will you give it to us? No, I won't. Can we buy it from you? I won't sell it. They went back to Prophet Musa They told him, he won't sell it. He told them, you have to buy it from him. No matter what the cost is, you must buy that cow from him. They went back. They started negotiating. He told them, I will not sell this cow unless you give me the equivalent of this cow in gold. This is a very special cow for me. I will not sell it. It was just a cow, but its color is is yellow, bright yellow. He didn't want to sell it. At the end, they went, they gathered all the gold, and they gave the gold to the young man. He gave them the cow. They came to Prophet Musa with the cow. Prophet Musa ordered that the cow be slaughtered, so the cow was slaughtered. And then, depending on which hadith you follow, there's a couple of some hadith say, in short, a part of the cow was taken. Prophet Musa alayhi salam in one Hadith, they say he ordered that the tail of the cow and another one of the bones of the cow to be brought and hit, struck with the body of the deceased, the victim, who was still lying in front of the door. So when he was struck with it, the deceased came back to life. And he saluted Prophet Musa. Salam. He told him, O messenger of God, I salute you. So and so killed me. My cousin killed me. Not in a man who is uh, uh, at whose door they have placed me. And then he lied back and went back to death, to the death. That's the story of the cow. After all of this happened and the people left and they saw one more miracle performed by Musa in front of them and a miracle that basically saved the life of an innocent man and showed who the real killer was. Prophet Musa spoke to the people who were close to him, some of his close companions. He told them, Do you know the story of that cow? There's a whole story, apparently. The Prophet Musa knew. He told them, no. He told them the man who sold it to them, this young man, has a whole story. One day, this young man, he was at home and he does business transactions. And so he went and on that day he had a very big transaction to do. He went and he did the business transaction and he came back. The whole business transaction was done. It would have brought him a huge amount of money. All he needed to do was to get the keys to something in a coffer, okay, in a safe that he has in his home. But when he came back, he saw that his father was sleeping and the keys to the coffer were under the pillow where his father was sleeping. And he couldn't get himself to wake up his father to take the keys. So he said, the sleep of my father is more important. The rest of my father is more important than waking him up to finish the business deal. So the business deal was lost. When the father woke up, his son told him, by the way, this and this happened. But I didn't want to wake you up. You you look tired and resting. I didn't want to wake you up. The father was extremely pleased with this. He was proud of his son. So he gave him a gift. What was the gift? He gave him a yellow cow. He told him, in return for this, for what you have lost today, what he lost was much more than the value of the cow. But he told him, I'm going to give you a very special cow. It's a yellow cow, pleasing to the eye. That's going to be your gift in return for what you lost today. The son was happy, the father was happy, everything was good. And life went on for a very long time. Until one day, the heads of Benny Israel come to this young man and tell him, we really want to buy your cow. And said, I won't sell this cow. He didn't tell them why. Because this was a gift from his father. He doesn't want to sell it. So he gave them a price that he thought they could never accept. He's not interested in selling the cow. He told them if you want to buy the cow from me, You have to give me its weight in gold So they went and got him enough gold And he said okay well I'll sell the cow For that price And so he took the gold So Prophet Musa Alayhi salam Explained this to his companions He told them See how when you do good How Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala May pay you back You don't know yet You don't know what that good will turn into This is a story of the cow Few verses of the Quran. Now let's go back to the hadith of the Holy Prophet, وسلم, and then we'll extract the lessons and we'll stop. It's almost prayer almost time. So what was the hadith of the Holy Prophet? He said, if the if Bani Israel, if the children of Israel, had not said, and if God wills, we will be guided. Remember at the very end, the third time, they said, وَإِنَّا لَمَهْتَدُونَ If you just tell us this last description, you give us one more description, inshallah, we're going to be guided this time. We're going to find the the cow. Okay? It wasn't the cow initially. Prophet Musa did not tell them you have to go slaughter a specific cow. He told them, go slaughter a cow. It was enough. Right? So the Holy Prophet says, if they had not said this, they would not have been given anything ever again. And God would have punished them. This was a very clear instruction and in they're directly disobeying. And if they had encountered a and offered it in sacrifice, it would have sufficed. They did not need to do all of this. But they're trying to find an excuse to procrastinate not to do it. And every time that they procrastinate and try to find a reason not to do it, did things get better? Did they actually win? Did they score a point? No. They scored a point against themselves. They lost. Every time it became more difficult until it became that one cow that the young man refuses to sell unless they give him enough gold that is equivalent to the weight of that cow. And the Holy Prophet said if they had encountered any cow and offered it in sacrifice, it would have sufficed. But they made things difficult, so God made things difficult for them. Okay? And there's a a lot of hadith here from Ihlbayt alayhi we don't need to go through them. All of them, they basically explain the, the story that we just went through in detail. So, one of the lessons of this story is the importance of caring for our parents. That's why Prophet Musa in the Hadith Muhammad says, Prophet Musa told them, bi okay? What what will Bill What will righteousness, goodness, how far will it allow you to achieve just by doing a little bit of good, okay? So anyways, first, foremost, the importance of care of the parents. This young man, obviously, this is an indication of a lot more. Obviously, it's not about not having woken your father once, uh, one day, in one instance, and as though that is the equivalent of all this. Clearly, this became the final cause of something else. This is an indication of the general conduct of this young man with his father, right? This is not the exception, this is a rule. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards him in this way. The second thing is, and this goes way beyond this story. This story is an example of this, and we have talked a lot about this, but it's a complex topic. And the more a human being thinks about it, the more you you understand the true nature of Tawheed. The manner in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala engineers this world. The manner in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the causes of this world to get to specific outcomes. Who could have predicted that the good that this young man did is going to be rewarded in that way? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants this reward to come to this young man. How is this gonna work? Who could ever come up with a scheme like this? But that's exactly what happened. And this is one instance, this is one example our entire lives are like this. Every aspect in our lives is like this. Everything is engineered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything has a consequence in this world and the next. But in this world too, don't forget that there is this world and that if it doesn't show today, it will show tomorrow or in 10 years or in 50 or maybe after you die and in your, the next generations of your children and your progeny and your descendants, Good is never lost. Bad is never lost. You do good, it will come back. You do bad, it will also come back. In this world, before the next. This is perhaps one way to understand this story. We don't have the details. But from other things, we know that when you accumulate haram, when you accumulate wealth, money, gold, possessions in the wrong way, usually there is no way that you are going to keep that wealth. That that wealth is going to be blessed and turn into more wealth. Eventually, all of it will be lost. Perhaps the gold that these people had accumulated, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to find a way to purify them from the haram that they had accumulated, the wealth that they had accumulated. They don't see that it was good for them. To them, they lost something really good. But in truth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala got rid of all that haram. And to the young man, he got something pure and good. He did not even really have to work hard for it. And all of that came his way. And of course, yeah, at the end, their sincerity, and that's the main topic of our discussion, that don't come up with reasons not to understand or not to do or use questions with the wrong intention, right? The whole discussion that we just had is to just finalize this point, that when you ask, ask sincerely. They were not asking sincerely, right? They were asking for all sorts of other reasons. So that in short, and inshallah, we're gonna see more examples of this. Let's stop here for today. We're gonna see how not everything, when you hear about something, not everything needs to be known, detail. Not everything that can be known needs to be known. What you need to focus on is the knowledge you need that is relevant to you that you need to act on, to build on. And we're going to see a number of hadith related to this from Imam Ali Alayhi salam, from the Holy Prophet and from Ahlul Bayt So let's stop here and inshallah we'll continue next time we, met, we meet. We uh, اللَّهُ we still have about 8-9 minutes before prayer, so if you have any questions, concerns, comments about anything we talked about today, or in the series in general, or just in general. other. So for the, you said uh, the early morning lectures, for the people that missed it, uh, what, what timeline do, do you look for? Um, I will give you the number of the lecture. So definitely, we talked about it uh, in lecture 41. Um, and we talked about it in lecture 40. Yeah, so it's 40 and 41. There's a, there's a focus there. There's a little bit more in the previous ones, but everything was summed up, repeated, and uh, highlighted in 40 and 41. And I believe we're at 43 today. Yeah, so not long ago, yeah. Nothing else? I thought that it. Uh, it was a really good uh, summary of what you guys have uh, presented, I'm, really not, I'm not sure would it be worth to have a short transcript or summary of, kind of a series, this way people, rather than go through a series of lectures, the main point summary mm-hmm. of, I don't want to say a lecture, maybe a s- series, will be the highlights. I think the, the benefit will be uh, uh, for, for, for those who missed it. Yeah. There will be yeah, so, so the question is, is actually excellent for someone who missed the, the, the first series and maybe even the second one because we, we are already at uh, 40, 43. Um, so what I do have are um, uh, some, not all of the present presentations, but for some of the lectures, I, I had PowerPoints. The the second half, I have PowerPoints for all of the, the lectures, so I can definitely share those very easily. Um, the first part, I did not have PowerPoints for them. There was an idea, but I think the idea has stalled or is on pause, uh, that uh, all of the lectures would be summarized. And so there was work that had begun, and I believe maybe between 13 and 15 of the lectures had been summarized into one page bullets uh, and so inshallah if that work continues uh, then that would be greatly, greatly beneficial uh, I do have an intent to go back and for the past few months uh, when the lectures are being uploaded uh, we're adding a bit more um, uh, description uh, or, or bullets in the description under, under the video To give a high level summary of what's covered in every lecture. But this was not the case in, I think, the entire series of Aqarat at first. So I'll make my my PowerPoints available. I'll share those, inshallah. Um, But I'm not sure how well they can be understood on their own. That's the question. The the verses of the Quran are there, some of the hadith are there, the arguments are there, but sometimes the language is technical. And that was the point of the the to explain that in, in very simple terms. So we can start with that and, and go from there. Inshallah. Um, for the uh For the young man with his, uh, his father and the key, um, is it selling his father's cow, contradicting his logic in the beginning of not wanting to wake his father up, to not to squeeze him for money? but then like he sold the gift that his father gave him? Uh, no, so uh, the question is the, for the young man who, who ended up selling the cow for all that gold, uh, is the selling of the cow contradictory to his father's will or his own intentions initially of not waking him up? Because he originally didn't wake him up regardless of the money, right? So why would he, you know, like I just don't get it. Yeah, so the, there's two things going on here. So there is uh, a profit, a gain, a monetary gain, a wealth gain that you can get. Uh, And there's also how you deal with your father and the care you have for your father. So if getting the money and the wealth meant that I have to wake up my father who's resting and sleeping, then no, I'm not not interested in that money. But if I have nothing to do and no no manners to break, no care to uh, neglect, of my father then there's no issue In making all the money In the world Why would he reject Money that is coming Easily to him So the, His attachment To the cow um, Is his own Personal thing his, his father Couldn't care less Whether he keeps The cow or not It was just a gift He gave him So if he gives The cow That's fine If he keeps The cow That's fine It was just a gift The cow in itself Honestly in the story The cow was not special It was only special Because his father Gave it to him Okay So when the time came and he was receiving that much wealth, you know, it would be wiser for him to accept all that gold and go buy 10 cows or 100 cows with that gold if he wanted to. And he didn't need to sell it, but selling the cow and getting the gold instead. And this does seem to have happened much later. Most likely the father had passed away. We don't know, but this was years later. The man had grown up, and this is the point of the, of the mystery of the story. That who would have thought that this is how things would turn out? Okay, so, but there's nothing contradictory in the story uh, to the intent, the initial intent of the boy, or uh, to the will of the father. There was The point was, he was not willing to wake up his father to get to wealth, but the wealth came to him in another way, and perhaps much more wealth than he initially wanted, because of that care and how he felt and the respect and the you know attention that he had to his father. So inshallah it's clear. Um striking with a few other questions or clarifications, maybe around the son and the father. The fact that he asked for its way to be weighed uh, in gold is a sign that he doesn't want to lose the uh, thousand. That could be one interpretation. The other one could be a sign of reward what he had lost in the past. So however you want to look at it I think there is a lesson to learn from this. Yeah, that the objection is these two interpretations. Do they contradict the will the, the initial intent of the boy or the will of the father I understood this question yeah. so and we're, all we're saying is no, and both are very valid uh, interpretations, whether that you know this is a way to make up for everything he lost, or you say that initially, and I think that's a clearer interpretation, that initially he never wanted to get rid of the cow uh, but if this is how much he's getting in return then okay, he's okay to, to get rid of it Uh, In return for this much gold. Um, But either or, either one of these interpretations, it does not break his initial intent. It doesn't make him any less of a good person. It doesn't go against the will of the father, disrespect the father, show that he cares less about his father for selling the cow. That's the point. But the the interpretations, yeah. And inshallah, there's more to say about the story. uh, These are the highlights of the story. We're good? Inshallah, we continue next time. Bismillah, ala sida Muhammad, ala.